Father, this morning, I just pray that you would stir our hearts. Lord, we don't want to just hear a message. We want to be doers of the message. Lord, we don't want to just hear about promises and truth. We want to embrace promise and truth. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just pour out your love, your power, that transforming power in our hearts and lives right now at this point. Pray that words wouldn't just bounce off us this morning but we would just be in full receipt of everything that you're saying to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in and through our lives, that we would be not only transformed, but transformers of our community in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. If you can agree with that prayer, you say amen. 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 That's encouraging. Brilliant. Wonderful. Hey, it's really good to be together and to get around God's word. For the OCD amongst you, I apologise in advance for what I'm going to say. This morning I got up at uh, some some unearthly time, anything before eight o'clock is unearthly, <laughs> and uh, and uh, got got myself dressed, went down. Hour or two later, came down, put my brogues on. As I'm sitting, put my brogues on this morning, I suddenly realised I put odd socks on. I've got, I've got a navy blue one and a black one. I told you that now. So if you OCD, you're going to be like, get away and change them. But uh, in that, I just thought, I thought, I, I really can't be bothered to go up and get them changed. I'm really not that bothered. But I really felt God speak to me about that. And, uh, and just the whole thing of having odd socks. It's bizarre, isn't it? And people do that. I had friends that just every day they wore odd socks. Me, no. So it's a, I'm dealing with issues here while I'm wearing odd socks talking to you. But I just felt God say, they're keeping your feet warm. They're doing what they should do. They fit. What does it matter? And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right on there, God. Right on. God's always right on, isn't he? (laughs) It's funny. Uh, But this morning, as we consider playing favorites, you know, we can can do things in our life or or look at other people or other things in life and just think that they're, they're odd, they don't fit in. And actually, God is saying, they do. They do. They do. So today we're looking at uh, favoritism, playing favourites. As I said, Pastor Adrian's away today and uh, giving me this opportunity to share with you from God's word. If you've got your Bibles with you, good on you. If you've not, lean over someone who's got theirs. And um, so we've been looking at the book of James, the Just Do It series. Today's Just Do It is, uh, is based on this theme of playing favourites. Anyone got a favourite takeaway? No one got a favourite takeaway. What is wrong with you people? All, all of us got a favourite takeaway. Mine, pizza. Anyone with that? Just any time of the day, pizza. Breakfast, supper, pizza every time. Uh, favourite music? Favourite favorite band? Yeah, some of you. Yeah. Favourite film? Yes, great. We, we all got favourites. Um, but the Bible encourages not to have favourite people. And uh, we're going to go through this. This is, this is uh, from Proverbs 28, verse 21. It says, Playing favourites is always a bad thing. You can do great harm in seamless, harmless ways. Listen, if we go away with that one word this morning, that is fantastic. All I'm going to do is unpack that and unpack what it says in the book of James about favouritism. Uh, but that really surmises it all. That is a fantastic verse. Maybe you've experienced favouritism in your own life, maybe in your workplace. Uh, other people have been played favourites. Uh, maybe you've gone for an interview at work and then you find out that someone else has got the job and it's been an inside job and they've been played favourites. Maybe you've been left on a, off a team 
I can relate to that football sports team. Maybe you've been left off. Uh, Maybe you've missed out on family events or activities because you are the one that don't quite fit in to things. Uh, Maybe you've been given rubbish shifts at at work. (laughs) Maybe you just get the rubbish shifts that no one else wants and you're the go-to to give rubbish shifts to because you're not the favourite. Maybe you've experienced uh, favouritism in your own life. Maybe, uh, have we got any middle children here today? Maybe there's middle, syndrome, middle child syndrome around, and maybe we've not felt like we've the favourite. Maybe you are the favourite. My kids are always accusing me of having a favourite child. That's absolutely ridiculous because I don't like any of them. <laughs> now, that's not true. That is not true. That is not true. Edit that bit out, someone. I love him all to bits. Right, let's just get into this before we get into trouble. James chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13. Here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws uh, except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone uh, but do not commit adultery, you're still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have shown no mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Wow. I tell you what, I mean, we have said on a number of occasions, James is pretty blunt, isn't he? Pretty to the point. There's not many grey areas you can go to there. It's quite black and white. Recently, I've been reading a book called uh, Drop the Stones. Uh, it's a book that I've re- recommended for our life group leaders to read. It's a fantastic book, but it's not a comfortable read. I have to say this. So if you're going to, while I'm speaking, hop onto Amazon and, and download the Kindle version of Drop the Stones uh, by Carlos A. Rodriguez, just be prepared for an uncomfortable read. And it, in the book, it talks about not judging others. It talks about loving others. It talks about showing grace and mercy. It talks about putting down the stones of accusation and judgment and be willing to lift up others with love and grace and mercy and hope. It tells us how not to play favourites, but be willing to love others even when it's tough. It's a fantastic book. As I said, it got, it got uncomfortable for me as I read it. And in, in a similar vein, or maybe a more precise uh, vein, James puts about not having favourites. In fact, in the book of... Um, let me see if I can do this. I'm going to do this wrong, aren't I? I've done it wrong, haven't I? Yes. In uh, the book of James, in the book of Romans, rather, chapter uh, 2, verse 11, it says, God has no favourites. God has no favourites. Where do you go with that? 
Well, it is what it is. God has no favourites. What that does is put us up, puts us all on a level playing field before God. All of us on a level playing field before God. All of us as valuable, as important as each other, as precious. And uh, James challenges the church really to stop playing favourites. Stop playing favourites. And uh, maybe there's something that we can learn from as we delve in this today. Uh, maybe about the next person that steps through our door here in church. Maybe about the next person that steps into our life. Maybe that new colleague that comes into our workplace or our school or our college. Um, what, what is it? In our, um, in our Time to Talk training manual, uh, one of the things it says in there, and I'm sure all those that have done the training for Time to Talk will remember this, it says, everyone that steps through the door is a VIP. Every person, whatever they've been up to, whatever they do, Time to Talk isn't a place of judgment, it's a time to come and be heard and listened to and loved. Every person that steps through the door. We thought that was important to put in our manual because we know that's how God sees everyone. VIP. And in this reading, there's a number of things that happen when we have favourites and a number of things that we can embrace to steer us away from favouritism. And James shows us three specific areas and these are three disses. So turn to the person next to you and say, don't diss me. (laughs) Don't diss me. Three disses that we're going to look at that James unpacks in this book, and it's this, discrimination, uh, dishonour, and disobedience. And so first of all, let's delve into dis, dis, uh, discrimination. Here we go. I, uh, I remember a good number of years ago, uh, my mum and dad stayed on a caravan site in Burnham-on-Sea. Anyone been there? Hmm, lovely location. Uh, Burnham-on-Sea. And they were on a caravan park where uh, all the caravans from the outside looked absolutely the same. Just rows of caravans, all the same from the outside. And, uh, you know, they were nice and they were shiny, all the same colour. And my dad had been out one day. He came back to the caravan. He got in, in stepped into the caravan and uh, starts looking for his mint imperials, as my dad always did. And rifling through the kitchen drawers, looking through all the cupboards, couldn't find his mint imperials. Then he heard a voice behind him say, excuse me. And my dad looked around and there's a lady there. So he's like, what are you doing in my caravan? I don't even know you. He said, excuse me again, you're in my caravan. You're... My dad had been rifling through someone else's drawers and cupboards and things. You see, on the outside it looked nice, it looked right, it looked like he should be where it was meant to be. It looked right externally, but it wasn't right. It wasn't right. Uh, he judged wrongly by outward appearances. Also gave us a great story to tell our kids. Um, We've got a culture, though, in the West where the external matters. Uh, and we see this on our TV and in TV shows and all, all about the glamorization of celebrity and fame and looking right and having surgery to look right and all this kind of thing. It, it's kind of the external uh, is placed, there's a lot of importance placed on it. And uh, discrimination, I find, is prevalent more and more in our day and age. And where people push equality but are also quick to label themselves and label others along the way. And they miss the value of the person inside. And even miss the value of who they are as a person inside. And in fact, it goes as far as devaluing other people that don't quite fit in. And James was addressing uh, discrimination in this reading. And in verses 2 to 4, we see this. 
For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, this, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Discrimination. Discrimination. If you look right, if you hung out with the right people, if you dress right, you'd be all right. All right? But this is, this is the incredible thing, and this is where what James says is rooted in that particular culture. Making judgments about what was on the outside of a person without determining what that person was all about. This is crazy, and I don't hear of it anymore in these days. But people used to hire gold rings and jewellery, and, and clothes, and this is why he specifically mentions those things. People would hire those things and go to meetings and go places to try and give the appearance of being wealthy. Because wealthy, wealth had such a high status symbol in the, in the culture that James is talking about. And people would judge externally on what people would see. Oh, he's got a load of rings on, hasn't he? Oh, look at the jewellery she's in today. Look at that finery there. Lovely. But James is making a point of this because what people saw wasn't necessarily what was true. And in fact, there's no word for favoritism or partiality in the Old Testament. What there was, the two words, receive face. Receive face. And it was all about, in the Old Testament, receiving face. Looking at someone's appearance. Looking at how they look and making a judgment upon how, who, who they are as a person on receiving face or what people would see. So there's no word for favoritism in the Old Testament. And, and then we're coming to the New Testament and James thought this was such an important issue that he creates a new verb in, uh, in verse 9. And he says this, it says, be a face receiver. Don't be a face receiver. Merged a few words, which is then, then translated into partiality or favoritism. Don't be a face receiver. Don't just look at the face or look at the clothes or look at the rings or the jewelry. Don't look at those things and make a judgment. That's what James is saying. Don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism. Don't receive face. And favoritism is based on what is seen on the outside. It discriminates. And as James has said, God sees the heart. I love that. And we're reminded of this, aren't we, in, uh, when, when Samuel is looking for the new king of Israel. And he approaches David's family, uh, who was to become King David. And, um, and God spoke to Samuel when Samuel was like, oh, he looks all right. I reckon he'll make a good king. Oh, he's really tall and good looking. He, he must be the next king. And then, then God said this to Samuel in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Looks on everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face God looks into the heart. God looks into the heart. Now, I want to read a report to you. It's a, an article that was in uh, uh, a, a newspaper in America. And it's a true account of a, of a pastor. And it took place on the Sunday, the 23rd June. It was a few, few years ago. I think it was 2013. So it's like a, a Sunday gathering like this. And you can, you can picture it. It's a warm day. And the report goes like this. The newly appointed pastor of Sango United Methodist Church in Clarksville, Tennessee, Willie Lyle, lay down at the, front, at the foot of the tree on the church grounds with an overcoat for a blanket, unkempt and bearded after spending most of the previous week on the streets. He looked like a homeless man. 
which was precisely the effect he wanted to achieve. He wondered if anyone would approach him and offer him food or see how they could help him. Twenty people spoke to him and offered him some kind of help. When the time came to deliver his first sermon, he did so from that exact same spot where he sat. And uh, as he did, he changed into a jacket. He shaved off his beard as he spoke. And his first sermon was this. It was a call to imitate Christ, to not judge other people by appearances, to love even downtrodden and rejected as Jesus did. The report goes on to say that Willie Lyle said this in closing. Our goal should be to improve and change the lives of people as we look like Jesus. You see, we look on the outside of others and make judgments. God looks inside at our heart and sees the truth. Incredible. What an amazing story that is. What a shake-up for that community that was. And I love that we are here in Longy in a church of different backgrounds, different ages, different nationalities, different colours. I love that we can be distinctly different without being distinctly discriminative. There are a lot of D words there and I did well to get them out. (laughs) I love that we're seeing lives change in our community as we live like Jesus and we love like Jesus. I love that. And I love Willie's words there. And I want to echo them again. Our goal should be to improve and change the lives of people as we live like Jesus. Whoever they are, wherever they're from, whatever they've been up to, that we decide to love rather than discriminate. First dish, that was from James. Next dish is this. That's poetic, that is. Dishonour. Dishonour. Now, I've mentioned before about William Booth. I was one of my heroes of faith. Not my favourite, because we don't have favourites, but he is, he, is, he is a hero. And William Booth founded the Salvation Army in uh, 1865, and he had a real heart. He was really burdened for the poor uh, and the outcasts in his community. And uh, he would preach on the streets to whoever would hear him. He had a little t- a tent that he put on an unused graveyard of a Quaker church. He would pitch it there, and he'd preach life in a place of death. Incredible. And uh, he met opposition... Uh, and people rejected him. Even the religious of the day rejected him. He was repeatedly attacked. Uh, some of his workers were even killed for the message that they carried. But one day, he did something extraordinary. And he thought, all these people that I interact with, the poor, I'm going to bring them to my church. And the story goes that actually, this particular day, the people that um, William Booth had preached to, he brought to the church. And the door flung open and he walked in with a crowd of poor people, beggars, prostitutes, those who just... And the story goes that they they smelled, they were in ragged clothes, they were dirty, some of them haven't bathed, some of them have got lice. And he took them down to the front of the church in the hope that the church would embrace them and accept them. And back in that day, the, the nearer the front you sat, the wealthier you were because you rented your pews. Not the case now, I hasten to add, especially here. All right. But the wealth, if you had money, you could pay to sit near the front. So if you were rejected from society, you weren't even allowed through the church doors. But he took them right up to the front and he let them sit down on the floor because he knew that he wasn't allowed to put them on the rented seats. And he took them. And you know what? This is, this is terrible what happened. Booth was certain 
despite how they looked, that they would be accepted. Despite their appearance, they'd be welcomed. But that's not what happened. Not one single church member even spoke to Booth's friends. In fact, the men and women, the story goes that they covered their faces with handkerchiefs as these people walked past them in a congregation. Some of them couldn't even bear to look. And on the way out of church that day, uh, when Booth was taking his friends with him, the pastor called Booth over and said, William, I need a word with you. And this this is the words that the pastor said to William Booth. It's not appropriate for you to bring this riffraff off the streets and seat them besides normal people. I'm beginning to seethe as I read this. In rented pews, no less. It's going to take us a long time to get the smell of those people out of the building. The draperies will have to be cleaned professionally. That's quite an expense just to have a few drunkards listen to a sermon. I want to say that that is dishonouring. I think James would be saying to William Booth, just do it. Just do it. And I think that James would be saying to the religious pew fillers and the pastor, as he did in verse 6, I think he'd be saying, but you dishonour the poor. But you dishonour the poor. See, favouritism dishonours the poor. Not only that, it dishonours everyone else who isn't a favourite. Everyone else who isn't in a certain clique. Everyone else who isn't, doesn't quite fit in. And Romans 12 says this, Be tender, loving to one another with brotherly love, in honour, in honour, preferring one another. I love that. I love as well what the English Standard Version says this. It says this, outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. Be the first one to get to that new visitor. Be the first person to welcome that new work colleague. Be the first person to show honour and respect to that person. Don't wait for it to come to you. This is what it says, in honour preferring one another. And too often personal preferences come at the cost of preferring one another. Partiality places a higher value on personal preference than a higher value of preferring one another out of honour and love. I'm saying that again, I thought it was a good word. Partiality places a higher value on personal preference rather than a higher value of preferring one another out of love. And honouring that person. I want to encourage us as a church. Let's keep preferring one another. Let's, you know, we've all got different tastes. I like a pizza. You might like a Chinese takeaway. I might like, I don't know, uh, The Princess Bride, great film. You might like something else. Sound of music. (laughs) You might like listening to Cliff. No one else does. Um, But, but we've all got our own personal preferences, but that doesn't mean that we can't prefer one another out of honour and love, does it? No, Andrew, it doesn't. <laughs> Third dis that we see James talking about is this. Disobedience, disobedience. James chapter 2, verse 9 says this. If you favour one person over another, you're sinning. And this law convicts you of being disobedient. Uh, Listen, there's no spoonful of sugar to help this one go down. It is is what it is. If you favour one person over another, you're sinning. And this law convicts you of being disobedient. You see, favouritism doesn't just discriminate. It's also disobedience. It's a sin. Not my words, James. It's what we've read there. It's a sin. I know it might be hard for some of you to imagine that that there have been times when I've disobeyed my parents. 
I know. Absolute shock across the room. That can't be so, Andrew. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> um, I always had a warning off of me, mum and dad. Andrew, this was as a child, by the way. This isn't a recent thing. Andrew, uh, you lot can't reach the top shelf. Andrew, you're too little to reach the top shelf in the pantry. Don't try and reach anything. All right? Don't, don't try and... One morning... Some of you might have heard this. Well, one morning, they hadn't put the Weetabits out on the table. That particular morning was the morning where I disobeyed my parents' instruction and I stood on the deep chip fat fryer to reach up to the top shelf to get my Weetabits. Now, if you're familiar with a well-used deep chip pan fryer, you'll know that they're just greasy everywhere, aren't they? What happened was my little feet slipped on the deep chip pan fryer. It tipped over. Just as I was in reach of the Weetabits, the Weetabits fell on me, and I, and I lay writhing, trying to get out of this fat and oil that was all over the place. Then I was suddenly struck with the words of my father, don't, Andrew, don't go on the top shelf. You're too small. You're too little. And in that moment, I realized I disobeyed my parents. And all the commotion... My dad heard, I heard his footsteps running down the stairs. In a moment of panic and, and then total regard that it was too late for his, his uh, house rules, I fainted. So, <laughs> so my dad came downstairs to find me in the pantry, <coughs> covered in oil, Weetabix crumbs, and fainted. I mean, it's an extreme way to get out of getting told off. <laughs> but, but that was, yeah, yeah, so, and, yeah. Can't believe that, can you? Disobeying parents. Disobedience gets us into a mess. Disobedience can get other people into a mess. Disobedience can make us suffer, and disobedience can make other people suffer as well. And disobedience, what is disobedience? Disobedience is uh, rebelling against God's ways. And God's way is found in the royal law that we read in this passage. And the royal law is what the King of Kings said in Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 31. And it's then echoed in James chapter 2, verse 8. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when I am playing favorites, I am uh, breaking that royal law, which is grounded in love. And, he's, and it's in his great love and his great grace that he offers forgiveness for when I do disobey him. And I can come back to him. And he does set things straight as I come back to him. In other words, we don't have to stay in the mess and the suffering of disobedience because Jesus, or of all that Jesus went through in obedience by death on the cross. We suffer mess in disobedience Jesus was prepared to get into our mess in obedience to rescue us from that. And I want to encourage you this morning that we don't have to live in disobedience. We can come to Jesus, ask his forgiveness. And finding forgiveness in in Christ is far better than having favoritism of others. But James didn't leave it there, so I'm going to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. Don't keep me to that because I'm up here and I've got the microphone. Right, okay. 15 minutes. But James doesn't leave it there. And if we go away this morning thinking, oh, three disses, disobedience, discrimination, dishonor, how unsettling is that? Well, I want to encourage you because James says something more and he talks about 
some areas that we can embrace to combat favoritism. Three things that will help us lead a kingdom culture in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, and in our church. Three areas that Christ demonstrated, three areas that he saw in others. And I think it's amazing that I had no, uh, we we didn't have a conference call, we didn't have any conversation, uh, me and Tim, uh, but the first three songs that he picked this morning, I'm presuming you picked them, someone did. (laughs) First three songs had this first thing I want to say, and and I don't believe that's a coincidence, it's this, it's this, it's a better way, it's this, chosen, chosen, I am chosen, I am free, awesome. Such incredible words, amazing that we sang those songs this morning when this is such an important thing for us to take hold of because Jesus did and I think that we can learn from him. I've, always, I've learned along the way that God's choices are always better choices than my choices. And uh, the, the teenage years are littered with difficult choices and unfortunately some of those are based on popularity, on fitting in, on peer pressure. Um, but on one thing that I've learned through years of youth work is never to write anyone off. Never to write anyone off. Because I've seen young people who didn't quite fit in, who weren't in with the in crowd, who weren't popular, who knew rejection in their own lives, who didn't have a lot, but were used incredibly by God because he chose them. I love that. It's one of my most important lessons I've learned in youth work, not to write anyone off. Because it's God that does the choosing. And I, I love it when uh, there's quite, quite a number of occasions now we've had Teen Challenge joiners at church uh, and some of the guys that have gone through rehab, Carpenter's Arms as well, and soon we've got getting another guy from Carpenter's Arms to come and share. Tonight we've got Chris Hardy coming, who has got an incredible testimony from being a, a racist hooligan to now being used by God and sharing uh, his love to everyone he sees. And I just think that is absolutely amazing. I think it's amazing that God can do that. And listen, they're powerful reminders for us all that it's not about who we choose, but it's about who God chooses. It's about being chosen by God, and it's never my place to say who that is. Because sometimes God brings surprises into your life. And uh, verse 5, let's read this. Verse 5 says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? He has chosen. Hasn't God chosen? Favoritism puts my opinion above God's place of who he chooses. So when we reject someone, when we show favoritism to others... We are personally placing our own opinion above the potential that God places on other people. These are odd words, aren't they, today? But we need to say it's in the word. We need to be hearing this. And it's God's choice is completely based on his grace and his purposes, not my preferences and not who I think best. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29 puts it fantastically. God has chosen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. The things that 
are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. No man may boast before God because it's God's opinion and who he chooses that is more of a priority than my own personal preferences about someone. By choosing those who the world rejects and despises, God magnifies the riches of his grace and his mercy. And I think that is pretty awesome, isn't it? What would it look like in my day-to-day life if I looked at everyone that I saw as chosen? Chosen. Because that would place a higher value on that person than me of myself ever could. Next thing that we see a better way than favoritism is loved. Verse 8 says this. Verse 8. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've touched on that. The royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. A distinguishing feature of Christianity should be that discrimination is made redundant by love. And understanding the extent of God's love for us should motivate us to love others. What Jesus did for us in loving us, he also did for the rest of the world. John 3.16, you know it. God so loved the world. He didn't just love that person who sits on that chair on a Sunday morning. He doesn't just love uh, those uh, front row pew fillers that William Booth encountered. I'm not talking about you. That William Booth encountered. He's not talking. It's all the world. Wow. And I want to encourage us to embrace the power of God's love. When we love others and with the love of God that is shown to us, we can reveal that to the world around us. Two, two guys came to the office this week, both of them heroin addicts. And um, we've been helping them along the way through Hope Long Eaton and through Time to Talk to two of the ministries that we've got here. And one of the, the, the heroin addicts said, said this to me, Andy, I don't know, I didn't know your church did all this. I didn't know your church did all this. He said, what, why do you do it? Why do you do it? I, all this stuff, helping us out. Who are we? I said this to him, because Jesus has shown us his love and we're called to show it to others. It doesn't matter whether it's a heroin addict a homeless person, someone who's well off, someone who's popular, someone who's unpopular, someone who fits in, someone who doesn't fit in. Let's, let's be people that unfavorite rather than favorite because God's love is for all. What would it look like in my life if I demonstrated that unconditional love that Jesus has shown to me? It'll, it'll change and transform things. Last thing is this. Merciful. So three better ways than favoritism to know that people are chosen, Lord, but also to know God's mercy. Verse 13, it says this. Let's flip to it. There will be no mercy for those who have been sh- uh, shown no mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. You see, mercy isn't just that game where you squeeze someone's hand to a port. Can you remember it? Anyone remember that game at school? And you're just like in, in, in someone else's grip and you squeeze really hard. And you, and you keep going until someone says mercy. Just me. Just me. <laughs> Maybe it's... <laughs> Maybe someone wanted to take, take, take out my knuckles. But it's a gr- I was going to say it was a great game. It was an awful game. People went away with broken knuckles and squashed hands. Mercy! Um, it's not that. Mercy isn't that. Mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve. Mercy is deliverance from judgment. Mercy is what Jesus demonstrated uh, to those who scorned him. 
who abused him, who beat him, who nailed him to the cross. That's what mercy is. And me demonstrating mercy will mean me following his lead and being merciful to others. Me being merciful will mean showing forgiveness to others. It will mean showing compassion and care. It will mean being uncomfortable. Me being merciful will mean that I am prepared to get uncomfortable. Me being merciful will mean I resist the temptation to favoritism. Me being merciful will mean that I don't write someone off. And a commitment to mercy, as we read in this passage, will mean that I can embrace the mercy of Jesus Christ. Wow. What would it look like if we were to show mercy to everyone that we meet on our day-to-day life? So we've got a great church. I am biased, but I think we have. And I think it's making an incredible difference in our our community. And uh, uh, I might have mentioned this before as well. A number of years ago, uh, Ben Ben challenged me with a word, and, and it was this, Ben Hicklin there on the desk. And he says... If our church wasn't in this community, would there be an outcry? Wow. Wow. Because we should be in and part of our community. We should be serving our community. We should be known in our community. We should be demonstrating that love and mercy to our community that James talks about there. Why did I say that? It's a great point, though. It's great. There's a vast difference between a club and a community. And we are not a club. We are not a club. And we welcome, especially if you're visiting with us today, you're welcome. And we hope that you feel welcomed. But what you've stepped into isn't a club. Whether it's been here 20 odd years, we're not, we're not a club. We're a community. This is a place that says, that doesn't say, that's my seat. This should be a place that doesn't say, that's my group. This is, this is a place that shouldn't say, you don't fit in. We're a community of believers where sometimes we mess up and sometimes we get it wrong, but ultimately we want to imitate Jesus in our own lives and in this community's life as well. To see others as he does, to love others as he does, to be merciful and compassionate as he is. And none of us are any more special than the next. Whether you're on the platform, on the door, whether you're cleaning in the week or whether you're on the the PA desk, no one is more special than anyone else in this place. And we've all got the potential to respond to God's love. And not me or you or anyone else can decide on that for ourselves. Our call is the royal law, to love, to love. So whether you've been here 20 years or 20 minutes, you are as valuable as each other. As I said at the beginning, this, we're in a level playing field before God. And what we do with Jesus, we will determine how we live how we see others, and how we love others, and where we'll go. And I want to encourage us to be merciful, to be loving, because that's what James was encouraging us to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and join me. That'd be great. Paul Paul writes some inspiring things through through the letters to the church. One of the things he says in Galatians is this, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither... Uh, slave or free, there's neither male or female for you all one in Christ. That is totally non-discriminative. That is incredible. It's brilliant. Neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female for you are all 
one in Christ. Some of those things that we are labeled with by the world before God don't matter because he sees our heart. And this morning, he sees right into our heart. Wow. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And sometimes it's hard, a hard pill to swallow. But we know with the help of your and power of your Holy Spirit that you can enable us to live out these words of truth and transformation. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask if this morning we do something a little bit symbolic, and sometimes that can be uncomfortable, but that was uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's challenging, and it's, it's to help us move on. And I'm going to invite us to stand, if we can. If we're able to stand, that would be great. And just in our time of closing, we can step into this place and notice the differences, and, oh, looking nice today, or new hairstyle, <laughs> New dress. Every time my wife comes down the stairs, I say that. Got a new dress. I've had this for years, Andrew. (laughs) That's what she tells me. But but what an incredible truth of God's word that he this is a level playing field and we're all loved by him. We've got the potential to choose love and to accept his love and his forgiveness and even in our disobedience and sometimes getting it wrong and sometimes favouring someone else over us, another person, that actually, in this moment now, we've got an opportunity to set the record straight. This morning, before we leave, you've got an opportunity to talk to others, maybe someone you've never talked to in this place before. You've got an opportunity to speak with them and introduce yourself and demonstrate love and acceptance and community. But I'm going to ask, and I'm... If you don't want to do this, it's up to you. It's what I'd like to do. So I think it'd be good. Just to take the person's hand next to you. And I'm going to pray over us as a church. So it's just a symbol of how oneness, sense of community, embracing one another wherever we're from. It'd be good to do that. I know, I know, I know it's uncomfortable. We're in church. Shouldn't be having to do things like this. <laughs> I just think it's powerful. This is a powerful statement we are making right now. And let it transfer from our hands to our hearts. There will be a people that embrace, that choose love over hate, that choose honour over dishonour, that choose acceptance over discrimination, that chooses mercy over just wanting vengeance and getting our own back, choosing forgiveness rather than unforgiveness, because those things will release the power of God in our lives and in our community. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. I hope if you only came in 20 minutes ago, you're not feeling uncomfortable. As I said, you're as valuable and important as someone who's been here 20-odd years. Our Father. Father, we just thank you for this time of being together in your wonderful, amazing presence. Lord, we know that it doesn't end here. We're all going to homes and workplaces, situations where where we might encounter favoritism. Lord, I just pray that we would break the back of that in whatever way that we can by showing love and kindness, seeing people differently. Lord, if we we experience other people being favoured and favoured over us, then Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be something that holds us back. Lord, I pray that if we've 
walked in disobedience, that this would be a moment where we step into obedience and seek your forgiveness. Lord, I, I want to pray that this moment now will be a catalyst to great things ahead of embracing our community, taking people by the hand and helping them all. Oh, Jesus. Would you come through the power of your Holy Spirit right now? Move something from our heads to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And all God's children said, amen.